Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Mimi and Lloyd, who are the duo behind Mana Search. And Mana Search is a headhunting firm focusing on fintech based out of London. And we're going to talk about their impressions of the job market related to fintech, uh, the changes brought on by the pandemic, and also uh, Mimi's uh, specific background as a researcher, an academic, an entrepreneur, and her role as a parent uh, during the pandemic. So Welcome, Mimi and Lloyd. How are you today? Hi, Rodolphe. <laughs> Thanks for in- inviting us. It's great to be here. Great. So let's start with you, Mimi. So you're an academic and entrepreneur. So how does that fit together? Often, you know, some people, when they try to put others into buckets, they think academics are maybe a little bit impractical in real life and entrepreneurs are a little bit too practical in life. So how does that work together in one person like yourself. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly what um, I, I get a lot of these comments. And uh, that's why I combined these two things, <laughs> because uh, nothing was enough for me, uh, enough. I think so before I went to, to a PhD, I was working for big corporations like Accenture. And I also went to a very small startup at Series A. And I did have this feeling that um, they tend to treat research as, as a non-practical thing. And when I'm, I'm going to, uh, to university right now, both from the perspective as a PhD student and also a lecturer right now, I can see that there is this, this slight feeling of a missing kind of industrial relevance of, of the research. So by having these mm. two together in the same time, I, I get like a different perspective and I'm trying to make both things relevant. So I'm trying to bring the industrial relevance into academia. So getting guests from, from Google or McKinsey to our students at, at the university so that they can also learn about what, has, uh, what is being done out there, uh, what are the chances for their careers after graduation, and, and how to make your expertise more practical. And then on the other hand, if we talk about industry itself, I also try to back whatever I say for our clients for our candidates with scientific research. So what I'm saying is actually uh, backed by science. And it's not something that I just took from the sky. Right. And what is your focus as a PhD? Um, it's actually teamwork. <laughs> so um, it, okay. it's very uh, useful for us uh, as a headhunting company, as a search company, because I'm looking specifically into what is the best make of a good team, of a team that is uh, creative and, and innovative. And that's um, why I'm so lucky is because it's with Imperial College London and Royal College of Arts. So we have a chance to look into creative people and people behind um, engineering innovations and uh, they are on the forefront of this of these two kind of sectors that seem to be far but design engineering is actually very prominent recently and um, and I do believe that by understanding from a scientific point of view looking at the social cognitive aspects of teams and collaboration I am able to to help our clients with how to get the best people for their company and for their innovations 
Right, right. Makes sense. Uh, maybe one more, slightly more personal question as an introduction. I mean, I know you're a parent as well. And, you know, pandemic has been quite tough on a lot of people who have kids, right? So mm-hmm. how has your life changed during the lockdown or pandemic even more so now, right? I mean, what I'm hinting at is, you know, do you think that there are some opportunities maybe beyond fintech uh, in edtech space where if that ever happens again, you know, God forbid that uh, maybe we could do better than we have done the, you know, earlier this year? Yeah, I mean, um, as for edtech, I I can't really tell from a parent perspective because my daughter is just too small. She's just two. Hmm. Um, but I I saw the edtech kind of um, growth um, as a as a lecturer. So so when we talk about the universities that I'm working at, uh, Central Saint Martins and, and Imperial, all the classes have been moved online. And um, by talking with my with my colleagues and other lecturers, we see that from our perspective, it's very bad. <laughs> We do not um, enjoy teaching online, and I think there is a big gap to be fixed in terms of the engagement, building trust uh, with with students online, and and how can we actually transfer the knowledge and give good classes uh, to students. And I don't think this has been fixed yet, so looking forward to to learn if there are some other startups that are now trying to solve these issues uh, within EdTech. And as a parent um, myself in London, I think it was very challenging, and we keep forgetting about that. So my research is, is studying people who are working in, in online teams this year, and I can see the difference when I talk to, depending on whether the person was a parent or not, because when we speak to people who mm. do not have uh, childcare commitments, they do claim that working from home is so productive and it's so fantastic to work from home, whereas we keep forgetting that actually, like, I think in the US, 41% of the workforce has a child at home. So when we're talking about remote working, we keep forgetting about this 41% or maybe actually more of the whole labor market that do have kids at home. And they do struggle with um, juggling childcare and, and, and Zoom calls. So I think we need to be more understanding uh, for this, this, this part of the population and, and keep investing in, as you say, EdTech, for example, just to, to help people that maybe in the future um, when we still have this 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 hybrid maybe uh, working, when you know half is at home and half in the office, there is still some uh, some solutions for for parents or for working parents. Uh, well, let's see how that's going to pan out. So, Lloyd, over to you. I mean, how did you get to do what you do today, being a CEO and a founder of Mana Search? Hi, Rudy. Thanks for having me on the show, and um, congratulations for it being such a great, prominent one. I enjoy listening to it. Right, thanks. The backstory, um, I've been working for 15 years or so. Um, since university at university, I was focused on a combination between economics and psychology. So they, And I, and I really just chose those because I was interested in both of them. I started off as a derivatives trader and found it a bit binary in terms of just selling, although um, I was pretty good at it. I thought, okay, let's take a 10-year view. What do I really want to end up doing? I was pretty entrepreneurial from the off. Uh, my father was an entrepreneur, um, so that's kind of what I knew. And I thought at that point, um, I'm probably not going to create a bank, but uh, perhaps in this um, search world, I might be able to own a business. And so I founded a few since doing that. And it, it was true. It was definitely an easier thing to set up. But uh, it's funny that I end up as um, you know the leading fintech search business where now everybody I talk to is setting up banks. So that shows you how the time changes. 
let's maybe explain also what is your mission or what are your objectives, right? Uh, a little bit more deeper as a recruitment firm. And also, I know you have your own podcast. So what is the goal of that as well? Can you tell us a bit more? Yep, sure. So Marna Search is a challenger search firm that uh, I founded a few years ago. It's a few ambitions coming together. One is that um, I believe that search is pretty archaic. You know, it's a lot of senior people with senior networks where the talent supply just rotates around. So I wanted to bring a disruptive business and focus on that. We have taken the, you know, the long view. So this is where we then collaborated with Imperial College and decided to look into research and development so that we can genuinely actually try and be a additive, valuable partner to the clients who choose to work with us. So in preference to just, here's a search, let's go to market, let's um, try and find a good hire. We truly believe that you need to understand and integrate yourself into the business you're working with and first and foremost, understand what the culture and dynamics are within that business. And only then really can you go out and find the right type of people who are going to have a fantastic opportunity in that business. In terms of how we've started, as you've heard, a lot of my background is focused on finance. Most of my background has also been focused on the technology and data within finance so the term fintech came around, you know, properly five years ago or so. Right. so it, it was just a very convenient way of putting on a tin all of the things that I had experience, network, and passion for. And so Marna Search to start with is challenging search in the fintech space. And just to finish on that before I go on to the podcast, the reason that I decided to, to focus it on fintech is I'm based in London. I would say London is for sure one of the most prominent areas. And then actually the final nuance is it's still quite an immature market. So in terms of the leaders, the movers and shakers in the fintech space, a lot of these individuals, are, you know, they're, they're, they're not necessarily that senior. A lot of them come from a mathematical or technical stem of skill sets. And so actually... It's, it's easier to, to disrupt. Whereas if you go to the incumbent businesses where these individuals maybe are at the later stage of their career, they're less interested in innovating. Of course, they don't, they're not so interested in this approach that Mana Search has. So we found the community that's really trying to desperately bring the best teams together and maybe has that agility of mind to want to do something new. And then the final point, uh, Rudy, the podcast was us just thinking, we think what fintech did really well, if we look at the, the Revoluts, the Monzos, the Starlings, etc., is they really got their message out. And I think the best way to get your message out isn't always to do what maybe I'm doing now, which is, here's our business. This is why we want to disrupt. It's actually to resonate a community with the mission. So a lot of people said, you know, I, I've listened to recruiter or head, headhunting podcasts, and they talk about sales or recruitment. And so what we wanted to do with our podcast is not do that at all. So I rarely talk about it. I just have conversations like you do with interesting people and leaders in the space, which hopefully strategically gets our reputation out there for what we're quite good at doing, which is understanding the nuances of fintech. Right. Um, but, you know, you also said you want to disrupt that archaic process, which or, you know, which I like to hear. Uh, so how do you 
do that? I mean, are you focusing on that younger demographics in your networking, in your research, or are you leveraging some technology? I know some disruptors, as you know, research firms, they're trying to use AI and ML to be a little bit uh, more uh, cost-effective than others. What is your angle here? We're looking at all of it, and um, the, the AI disrupts recruitment at the moment at the really big voluminous level. So actually, mm-hmm. the more junior end, because it's most useful when there's a huge amount of data for it to pass. The complication with that, and you'll find this if anybody can resonate with having been on LinkedIn, with the type of job opportunities that you get shared with you as a good match. And I certainly find more often than not, they're not a very good match. Now, this is because it's complex. Different companies have different titles for the same roles. So the actual language, which is this basically verbal reasoning skill set that machine learning is trying to tackle, right? A lot of people think of it as algorithms, but actually it's very complicated in jobs because in different territories, in different firms, there's different languages being used for the same thing. And then, of course, what our product is here is humans. And humans, again, are incredibly nuanced. So this is not as simple as, I want to order a taxi, here's a taxi, right? <laughs> so what we're doing is we are looking at the technology. Mimi is certainly with Marla Labs doing a bunch of research and development on this. Uh, and what we're doing, meanwhile, in Marna Search, the core business, is we believe we're disrupting it already based on some of the things you mentioned. So we do a lot of analysis on what are the skill sets that are driving innovation in innovative businesses? And we put out surveys on this. So a snapshot of that would be data engineering, um, functional programming, technical product, and then, of course, the right type of executives who perhaps are already coming from big tech, where they're at the absolute cutting edge of innovation. So how we do that is we've just hired the most, in our opinion, intellectual with high aptitude and highly motivated individuals into our quite small challenger business at the moment, because a large part of it is quite an academic research-led process that we're putting the business through. And I think that the best search business on the planet in several years' time is a hybrid between headhunters who can do more, who can give better recommendation based on data, and then using a digital platform where the customer, the client, or the candidate has the experience that they're used to in other sectors. So we're trying to do both. So it makes it doubly hard, but I think it will be what will make um, a challenger search business win. Okay, great. Understood. So how do you see the job market evolving this year, right? I mean, in many countries, a lot of the governments, they were trying to help different sectors, including the startups and things like this. Uh, On the other hand, do you see some pockets of opportunities? and, And especially in this case, you know, maybe you will have a lot of people coming out of incumbents because of the job cuts and things like this. They may be trying to break into something they think it should grow, like fintech. So what do you think are the chances and the opportunities? Let's focus on the positives. Uh, we have enough of negatives in the press, right? Exactly. So if I just do focus on the positives, I think that this period of time has been a, a catalyst for thought for a lot of people, just as you say. And so I think that's right. People are looking at what is likely to do better over the next few years and therefore where shall I position myself? So, you know, it depends who you talk to, but 
this last six months has either been, you know, the moment that they took the opportunity or, uh, or obviously an incredibly stressful time. Those opportunities are in businesses that are, are more digital, where the business is driven by either technology or data. And I think that we haven't ever seen as high a flow of people from traditional businesses making the decision to now move to these businesses. And the, the final nuance that I'm getting a lot of uh, reasoning why they're doing that, because we ask everybody in detail, mm-hmm. is um, I think the ability to suddenly have some thought to breathe and think, well, why am I doing this? What is it that I want to achieve with my life's work? And having had that balance of sometimes working at home and not having to think about the politics of a large organization has really drawn a lot of people to the challenger space. And you're seeing people, you know, who a year ago would have had certain financial demands really thinking about whether that's the number one thing in their job search. And so I think the positives are for people who actually needed to like come out of the rat race, so to speak, and think, where is it that I want to be in the next several years? A lot of people have been almost given a catalyst to make that decision. Right. So that is uh, the right attitude, right? Uh, trying to see what you can do next and maybe better. You know, that's that's kind of my view rather than uh, wait for somebody else to sort it out for you, right? Um, all right. So I just wanted to ask Mimi as well, because I know you're very active in the women in tech movement, in, so to speak, in the UK. And uh, I wanted to ask you, why is it important to you? Why do you think that striving for diversity in the startup world as a subsector, let's say, of the business world is important? And uh, how do you see the current situation in the UK and Europe? You know, if you ask me some question, I'll just go back with some numbers <laughs> from research. And actually, BCG, uh, which is actually one of my previous employer, um, they, they found out that companies with uh, diverse leadership has over 20% higher revenues. And it's just clearly due to the, the bigger power of innovation and creativity that uh, the diverse team can, can introduce. So, you know, by having like a lot of perspective and diverse team um, behind some, some, uh, some projects, we just get more out-of-the-box thinking. And I think that's why uh, teams uh, perform better. When they're yeah, of, of course, because, you know, if you're in a startup, especially you're building a product for someone else, not for you. Mm-hmm. So that's when I see the founders teams, you know, where three guys who look exactly like each other, they studied the same major, same university. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, uh, what's going on here? Yes, because I <laughs> right. mean, it depends on the product. But if your product is actually for people, then people are also women and they are also like, I don't know, migrants. Not everyone is a privileged person from a private school. And um, I just love when, you know, you see this, all these companies talking about diversity. But then if you look in the, the, leader, the leadership on the board, it's just, as you say, three white guys. So that's some cases. And I think that happens mostly in traditional companies. Um, in terms of the startup world in, in London and in the UK, largely speaking, I haven't seen much non-diverse, um, non-diverse kind of treatment. So I myself was um, in a fintech, and I don't think there was any judge, uh, judgment um, decision when I joined the company. And then we were actually quite diverse company. Right now, it's bigger company. I just saw some numbers, and I think it's 35 people are female. But then again, I think we can't force every company to have 50-50 because 
I used to say that that's kind of unfair. If less women are applying, then then we we favoring in this case mm. um, female leaders. Um, so you know, like if we have some numbers, like we have to hire more women, and then less women are applying because maybe they're just not interested in the sector. Then we just hire any women that applied, and then I think that's that's a bit wrong behavior. So for UK, I don't think that at some level there there is an uh, issue, especially if we look into many leaders like Starling Bank, Innovate Finance. We have great CEO female leaders in front of these organizations, and that's that's quite inspirational. Yep. So we, as let's say young female students, they they can see that there is a way for them to enter this this uh, industry. And I think the bigger problem could be. In other countries, so I come from Poland, and when I, re- I remember when I was in Accenture, it wasn't quite popular to have female um, consultants there. And I think be- it's only because there was not many female students in the tech universities in Poland, because they were never encouraged to study STEM subjects. And I think it has to be literally from middle school, like you know, from the age of fifteen, someone from the education system to encourage female students to go and study engineering so that later we can end up with just more female applicants in such organizations. Right. I mean, uh, if you just wait until the people are in their 30s, it's probably a bit too late, right? So Yeah, exactly. And then we just enforce numbers. Then I think that's the wrong, wrong approach to this problem. Understood. So jumping back to Lloyd again, I'm just thinking about the potential opportunities and some bright messages we can tell people. So Obviously, you've seen a lot of people from traditional companies reevaluating their life or their careers and maybe uh, approaching you as candidates. Where do you think within fintech uh, there might be opportunities or the winners post-pandemic if we ever see the end of it? So really, this task is exactly what me and my research team are looking at every day. So I I will actually just explain how we do that, and I would recommend anybody to do the same Mm -hmm. thing. We will use tools such as Crunchbase which allows you to see the various rounds of funding that a company has and the key people in the business. We will then start to try and build out a view of what we think the fundamentals for this business to continue having success is. So we're looking at trends. And so if anybody's considering their next move or just wants to try and pick which fintechs they think are going to do really well, you need to get really deep into an analysis and You need to look at the founders. Have they had success previously? What's the dynamic of the founders? Do we think that this business is going to do better moving forward is on to the point that then you're talking about, right? So the trend that we're seeing a lot of at the moment is that companies that are making the infrastructure and the technology and helping financial businesses with their data analysis are doing incredibly well. They're getting more rounds of funding and they've got an upward trajectory. Some of the businesses that are in lending have been struggling. And this depends on the type of kind of individual that they were lending to. If it now is perceived that that's more risky, then these companies are not doing well. And uh, if it's lending to ones that they feel is good to keep lending to, then they're doing well. And then if we take it to um, business lending, I think you're seeing quite a lot of companies now go after the space that like a Brex in America went after to start with a few years ago where it's not just for the the smallest micro businesses that they're lending to. It's not for the really big businesses. There's a lot of provisions for them. It's this middle pocket 
which I think is mm-hmm. obviously truly needed, particularly with what's been going on. So I think SME lending is a good space to look at. I think B2B companies that are providing data or analytical or technical solutions to uh, traditional businesses is a good place to look for. And then, of course, the payment space, the digital payment space is a good place to look for. And then we've got companies like uh, Klarna, haven't we, that have just become one of the most valuable fintechs where uh, they're doing incredibly well. And, you know, it starts getting quite hard to understand what's fintech or not. You know, you've got um, Mm. companies like Shopify, which are taking market share from Amazon, which, you know, for me, a core makeup of that business is fintech. So I I actually think that... uh, (laughs) The, the fintech world just keeps on getting bigger and the opportunities are going to keep on getting bigger. And what I'd say to anybody thinking about getting into it is don't think about whether it's good today. Did some companies do badly over the pandemic for the last six months? Over the next 10 years, if you've got that view of your career, then this is really where the opportunities sit because we've now got big tech, big finance and the challenges all meshing together. And in 10 years time, my strong view is there probably won't be a terminology other than this is what finance looks like, and it's incredibly digital. Right, exactly. So this is really the philosophy behind this podcast as well. For me, fintech is basically anything but life sciences. So maybe you call it e-commerce. Well, it is a marketplace, uh, you know, or people invest or save. There's money involved, uh, things like this. Anything can be called a fintech. Or, you know, I think the maybe the difference is, between fintech and financial services that probably these companies are a little bit uh, earlier in their life you know they're a bit younger but that that's all you know following up on the soft topics and also you know maybe you can jump in as a as a parent right i mean you're talking to a lot of founders as well right so it's not mm-hmm. just a desktop research and things like this and people have some heated views about future of work or future of office work you know will we ever come back to the office or not in other words you know should we bet on uh, commercial real estate uh, funds or or not or uh, maybe these places should be converted into something else like another amazon uh, locker or uh, you know community place and maybe we'll come to the office only once a week where do you think the the founders are in the community because as i said if you just speak to individuals everybody has a very strong view there is some research emerging. Uh, I've seen some article in the FT talking about that, look, uh, the home office is good for certain people, as you mentioned, Mimi, but uh, not only from a perspective of uh, having children or not, but also having accumulated certain social capital in the office, right? So if mm-hmm. you are a well-oiled team, maybe you don't need to see each other as much. But if you're a junior person who is there the first year, Maybe they want more guidance and help and they feel awkward if they need to pick up a phone or get somewhere on Messenger and try to get a a boss to comment on something. But if they were sitting next to each other, they would have asked, uh, you know, easily. Or if you're a new boss, well, how do you make a mark on the team if you don't show up there, right? And if you cannot or you don't want to force other people. So what do you see as the trends or what's the the temperature check uh, from both of you? you know, from conversations you have with the founders in fintech world in London? I can start with my research. So that was specifically my study over the last months. So we started to to look into online teams before the lockdown. I was not aware there will be a lockdown. And then 
we announced uh, the study recruitment, uh, we got participants and suddenly, like a month later, the government announced lockdown in, in the whole Europe. And that was quite shocking too, because when the interviews kicked off, I could talk anonymously with, with people from various companies. And that was exactly similar findings that you, you were mentioning. So when we talk to founders or big managerial um, leadership people, they would say working from home is great, but it's because they are experienced and they also have different conditions to work from home. You know, like when I'm, I'm talking to them on Zoom, they are sitting in, a, in the office room or in the garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and we keep forgetting about the junior people who, who just, for example, just joined the company and they literally have no, no, no one in the city. They have very bad internet connection because they have flatmates who are also working remotely. They are Skyping to me from their rooms, uh, from their bedrooms. So for them, this working from home is not the best thing. It's not really productive. They cannot, the biggest issue for them is that they cannot learn from their colleagues and they cannot build any relationship. And there is a big body of literature in science on water cooler conversations, like how this help teams to to build bridges between each other and then to, to become creative because this we, we need to remember about this serendipity of, of uh, meetings, of conversations. Like There are things that we learn during coffee machine conversations. And by having just Zoom calls, we, we lose this chance to, to talk about uh, things around that can inspire us, that can ignite the creativity. So from my perspective, um, by looking into social issues of teams, I am against working from home, and I think people do need space to learn from each other, to connect with your teammates, to build trust, to build better teams. And there's there's also another article in FT by Jan Perro. He's an INSEAD professor, and he actually talks a lot about Zoom fatigue. And I think the research would say would be against working from home. Whereas if you talk to a director in PayPal, then they would say it's it's great to work from home. <laughs> right. And Lloyd, what do you think? Yeah. So like you guys, I'm sure we've all had so many conversations about this. So without just trying to go through the whole landscape, what I think is that it will be um, more prudent for you to look at the cultures that you're considering working at, because there will now be different ones. It will just be a category within cultures. So I know leaders of Um, the same type of businesses who just have different views on this. Um, One of them might just love the fact that they get to go into the office and the other might not. And so I think you'll start getting, if we were to consider them as industry sectors, different norms. And so we can see already that, you know, big tech has basically said, just distribute yourself and be productive because they want access to the world's best talent and they've been fighting over the last 10 years by providing them with bean bags and pizzas and beers. And now this is one way to get the best coder in Hawaii to join you, right? And then I think that there's a completely different type of business which might be looking for a certain type of skill set in a certain type of geography and prefers to, to attract them into some type of office space. And then there'll be everything in between. So again, it's the whole purpose of uh, Mana Search and actually the podcast Searching for Mana, where we're trying to expose an audience to different leaders in the space where it can sometimes look like very similar businesses. And the message that we're trying to get across is do your research, 
try and understand the culture that that leader or that business really enjoys and make your decision of where to go and work based on making sure that's right. So I don't think um, you should, you know, try and say, you know, will there be offices or will there not? If I was talking about what or how I think commercial retail is going to go, I think it's going to be very tricky for it. It's going to change. Of course, all of those offices in London are not going to be tenanted moving forward. But just as you hinted at, well, what an opportunity that might be to turn it into um, retail, to turn it into um, different offerings. Um, and as for work, just make sure you find the company that has the balance you like. But broadly speaking, everyone I've asked who's come on the show, and a lot of them actually, contrary to what Mimi said, maybe because it's challenges, really drove a culture before of everybody must be in the office. And they're like, I would have never said remote work is something I'd do. Uh, now has really, has really changed that attitude. And I, I think what we might see is three day in the office working weeks and, you know, uh, longer weekends. Right, exactly. So a hybrid model. And uh, maybe, you know, it's not the Amazon lockers that uh, the offices should be converted to, but the flats. So maybe that uh, the junior people have a access to more more flats and then maybe they feel about it differently but there are some issues which will remain right which is you know you don't know your team yet and uh so how are you going to overcome that but i've heard about uh, virtual water cooler conversations and yeah. people are not very happy about those yeah uh, maybe wow. maybe it is early days right uh, yeah. that technology will get better really but the reality is maybe half the guys who are junior in my business have have chose to come here because they wanted to come to the city and they wanted to experience working in a startup and an office and they wanted to make some friends and you can't do that however good zoom gets over zoom let's hope that doesn't happen um so i think you're right and, and that was one of the things we we hope does happen because in places uh, like where you are or london property prices just meant that nobody you know can afford to live in the center and so maybe that will be one of the things that comes out of this over the next seven years is the junior individuals can afford to live in the capital go and see their friends, go and get that osmosis in a work environment when it's most important. And then after that, some people might choose to stay or some people might, you know, move out and work remotely. Okay, great. So, well, I wanted to talk about female guests on the podcast, but so let's try. You know, you you also, Lloyd and, and Mimi, you're, you're pushing diversity on the podcast as well. So who are your favorite female guests on the podcast if you can say so i know it's very hard to pick just a few <laughs> so you you're gonna blame me yeah. and you say that you know i edited it out or whatever if there is a, any blowback so uh let us know who did you enjoy talking to most i let lloyd do yeah i let lloyd, but before that i wanted to say that we didn't push for diversity it's so funny like we never like okay we uh, let's have this this woman. But because if we reach out to this um, big organization, it happens to be that they are leaders in these organizations. So it's super interesting that if we think, for example, about yeah, innovate finance, like who is the CEO? It's actually a female leader. So it's not that we we chose um, the guest to be diverse. But yeah, I leave Lloyd to. I mean, to... A, a great. I meant it in a good way because in uh, in some countries, especially in the fintech world, the financial services, if you just drift. Right, then uh, you end up with a hundred percent male guests, right? Yeah, yeah. I think in in, in other sectors. So, yeah. so Mimi, thanks for blowing that. Um, <laughs> our, first, our first, our first three guests were female, and uh, it was just they were the ones we were interested in bringing on. I want to make one point, and then I'll very quickly 
shoot myself in the foot and name some people. The companies that I see that are getting this right, where they're building a diverse culture, both could be race, could be sex, etc. I don't think that the leaders are saying to me, like, it's got to be a woman in this position. I just think that they've got the right attitude, which is, let's make sure that, you know, we explore the whole market. And if I was going to say where we get pushed back quite a lot as a search business, you have talent acquisition recruiters in businesses who say, well, we don't need a search business because we can advertise and get a thousand applicants. And actually, that's where there is a big purpose of partnering with a search business. If you need to go shake the bushes and find the best talent globally from different sectors to come and fill the role, then a number of good things happen. One, you get the most insanely viable person for the role. But secondly, diversity starts happening because you've just come out of the pocket. In terms of some of the guests that um, we've had on, we've had a number of brilliant ones. But um, Mimi's mentioned Charlotte Croswell a number of times from Innovate Finance. Her story is interesting. She was um, she was a, a president at the NASDAQ, has had a glistening career in finance, and then you know certainly is championing fintech in 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 her position there i'd recommend anyone listening to that show because it's quite interesting because she talks about so many different companies um and then i'd 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 give a shout out to um dr karen elliott who is um, a senior lecturer of fintech at the university of newcastle and the reason i'd choose choose it is because it's so fascinating for me because a lot of what she's talking about is the psychology of teams and companies so it was a really nice show that had a, a, a mana edge to it. And again, she is um, somebody who's managed to achieve all she has whilst having you know, a young family, which has been challenging, not only whilst being a professor at a university, but also she helps um, promote business in the, the north of UK, which is where she's based. So I'd say across all the women who've come on the show, because we are a search business and so our contact base is quite senior, They've all got to this point where uh, most of them have had families. And so I think what that shows is that it's possible. But what I would definitely say, most of them said was the number one thing that's allowed them to be successful is resilience. Because when you hear their stories, you're like, oh, my God, these people were so motivated to have these senior demanding roles whilst having families. And that's my big point here is I don't think in London anymore you see employers not selecting junior females. And I don't think you see employers not appointing senior females. I think the catchment that gets potentially negatively viewed is the mid-level. And this is, let's just be straight, because the employer is concerned about them having a family and how that's going to affect their motivation and attention for their job. And so that's the thing where I think that almost government needs to be focused on this, Rudy. And actually, what we've done is we've brought onto the show, and we'll carry on doing this, a couple of people are in the House of Lords. So we brought Ed Vasey on, and we also brought Nikki Morgan on. And we'll keep on doing it because I think for this to be got right, you need two things. It needs to be looked at the grassroots in education. And, uh, you know, just as many females as males need to be encouraged to get a STEM skill set. And then you need to look at this middle level where there needs to be a support mechanism for driven females who've got the right skill set to succeed in in commerce, but actually go through this phase of when they're having the family, typically the male gets prioritized and then they go and step away from their career for a bit. And it's a lot harder to become one of these um, prominent women. 
Very interesting. Uh, nice talking to you. So Mimi and Lloyd, maybe let's wrap up and uh, tell people where they find out more about Mana Search and uh, your podcast and uh, where they can find jobs in the fintech world uh, if they have a STEM background or not. Yeah, I think the best one for us would be just LinkedIn. And that's also where we have the roles in fintech. It's it's a lot of engineering, <laughs> but but and, uh, but we do encourage um female to to look into these jobs on on linkedin and yeah we have the website manasearch.co.uk and for the podcast we have a dedicated one as well it's searching for mana.com brilliant so thank you mimi and lloyd and uh, good luck to mana search cheers really thank you so much for having us thank you for listening to voice of fintech podcast if you haven't already check out also voiceoffintech.com where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.